So we'll be in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, jump over to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read the text, uh, pray one more time, and then jump in. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Jesus says this. Again, you heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that we get to gather together and hear from you. And Lord, as, even as we sang, we get to rest in your presence. You meet us here in this place. And so Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your word. Um, that you would make us people both who love your word, but also to stick by our word. I pray that you would um, make our hearts alive in this place. That we might serve you well in this city. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I am directionally challenged, uh, which means I get lost easily, uh, all the time. And so I love maps. I love maps with directions showing me where I am. Uh, we go shopping every now and then, like back when you could do such a thing. Uh, and we would go to the outlet mall right there on 290 and uh, the Houston Premium Mountain. So we would go there and, uh, and so we'd love to like go shopping in different areas, you know, go buy shoes or clothes or the Disney store. That's where we spend a lot of time as a family. Got a witness. Um, and so we would go there, and, and would, the first thing that I would do is I would walk to the large map. And I love the maps when they say, uh, you are here. There's a sticker and shows you where you are, so then you can see where you would want to go. And not all of them have that, and that hurts my heart. But when it tells you that, I'm like, okay, I, I can see where I am, and I can see where I want to go. And I love that. And so even if I get lost along the journey, I will stop by another direction thing, and I will stand there, and I will ponder my way until I can find where I go, because I am directionally challenged. Now imagine for a moment, if the creators of those maps in the mall decided to mess with you? What if they intentionally chose to deceive you? What if they, they messed around with where the locations were so that as you're looking for the location, you would never actually be able to find it because it would not be in the right place. And you'd go from map to map, never knowing where you are or how to get to where you want to go. That would be horrible. But it would be funny to watch you. Like if it was like a TV series and they were watching your life in that moment. It would be terrible, but I, I tell you what, that is the issue that Jesus is addressing. The issue of honesty. And the reason is this, is because we want, to, we want people to be honest with us. Like we want to know that what you say is actually what you mean. We want you to say what you mean and mean what you say. We want honesty. We want integrity in the people or the organizations we're interacting with. We desire that. There's a book that came out recently by Malcolm Gladwell, and it was called Talking with Strangers. And it was fascinating that as he was talking or reading, um, researching people that had, been, had deceived the CIA, and the reason these people that were obviously even fraudulent, obviously lying, were so deceptive uh, was because people assumed something about them. They assumed they were telling the truth. 
And it became difficult to discern who was lying and who was not. Because we desire people to tell us the truth, to stick by their word. And that's what we even say, like, will you honor your word? Will you actually say what you mean and mean what you say? Because words are powerful. Words convey trust. Words give hope. Words set expectations. But when you decommit from your word, when you don't stand by your word, when you go back on your word, when you decommit, it breaks trust. It breaks relationships. It breaks hope. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is setting forth his kingdom ethic. If you've been following with us through the Sermon on the Mount, we basically said this, Jesus is teaching his people, hey, this is what I want our people to be like. Hey, if if you're one of mine, this is the character qualities we want to be exhibited amongst our people. This is the kingdom ethic that we want to establish in this place. And, And often through this, he is contrasting his teaching from the teaching of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders popular in his day. And he says, look, my standard of righteousness, my teaching is much higher than your teaching. And the standard that I'm going to hold us to is much higher than the standard you're teaching. And so he gives us his kingdom ethic when it comes to our promises. Will you stick by your promise? And the principle he's giving is this. It's very simple. That you will keep your word. He says in verse 33, Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And that's a a summary of several Old Testament passages, one of them being in Leviticus 19, 12. It says this, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, so as to profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. He says, I want you to deal honestly with people. In Deuteronomy 23, 21, it says this, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. He says, my people, I want them to deal honestly. And he quotes, these are quotes from Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, God was establishing a new people with a new ethic. I want you to be a people that deal honestly with one another. That they know that you keep your word. When you say something, you're going to stand by it. And what's going on culturally at that moment is the rabbis had all these different ways to get out of their commitments. All of these things that they would do to uh, not really fulfill their word. And so they would make promises and have kind of a way out. It says this, the rabbis taught a elaborate um, stratification for promises. So they taught that swearing by God's name was binding, but swearing by heaven and earth was not binding. And so if someone asked you, hey, are you going to come over to my house for dinner? And they said, oh yeah, I swear by heaven that I'm going to come to dinner. That meant I'm not coming. But if I was to swear uh, by God, by God of heaven, by God Yahweh, I'm coming to dinner, then you know that I'm going to come over for dinner. So they made these elaborate things. Um, They also said swearing toward Jerusalem was not binding, but swearing by Jerusalem was not so if, so if you were to ask me, hey, Kevin, um, are you going to like send me that email or, or, or follow through on that commitment? And I said, um, as we walk toward Jerusalem, I will fulfill that commitment. You would say, oh, great. Kevin's not going to fulfill that commitment. 
But I'm like, by Jerusalem, I will send you that email. You know, okay, Kevin, Kevin is uh, legit on his word. He actually promises. So they had made these little elaborate ways to not fulfill their word. And Jesus is saying, look, you guys are playing this game and you're making misleading statements. You're, you're saying you're going to commit, but you're actually giving yourself all these ways out of your commitment. And listen, we do the same thing. I remember when I was a kid, there was one simple thing you could do. And if you did it, you were therefore legitimized for a bold-faced lie. And it was this. You cross your fingers. And so my sister would come over to me and say, Kevin, did you eat my brownie? And I would say, no. And she would say, but I watched you eat my brownie. And I would say, I did not eat the brownie. And then she would go to mom. Mom, Kevin is lying. He, didn't, he ate my brownie and he would not fess up. And I would say, mother, here's the trump card. I have crossed my fingers. Therefore, I can lie to you. And we do it. We have all our little ways of like going back on our word. And, and, and it's, it's, in, it's in subtle ways, but it, they're significant ways. Someone texts you, hey, will you come over to my thing? And we, we ghost them. Like we just don't respond. And we hope that if I don't respond, they will know that I might show up or I might not. I will be in that murky land of I don't know. Or I'll, I'll commit. I'll say, oh yeah, I'll totally be there. And then as the time for the event gets closer and closer and closer, 10 minutes before, we're like, oh, bro, 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 so sorry, so sorry. And we decommit at the last minute. We do this in so many subtle ways. What we do is we overpromise and we underdeliver. This happens all the time. We overpromise and we underdeliver. In fact, I read about a company who recommended companies do this. Do this in your tagline. Like overpromise what you can do and underdeliver on that. When I was a kid, uh, there was Axe body spray. And so there was this commitment that they made. Hey, if you use this body spray, you will get the girl of your dreams. But if not, good luck, buddy. And so they overpromised and underdelivered. I thought about it. I was like, why do why do we do this? Why do we often in life overpromise and underdeliver? And there's four reasons I think I deal with for me. The first is this: it's pride. I, I want to protect my reputation. Right? So I'm going to promise I can do something because I don't want to, to have a bad reputation. So, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. Or it's fear. I want to try to pacify or placate others. Like, I'm going to commit to you, um, but I'm afraid to disappoint you. And so I will, I will overcommit because I'm afraid of, of a person. Or it's avoidance. Like, I just want to get this person off my back. Like, oh yeah, I'll totally do that, I'll totally do that. And so, therefore, I, and, and I, I know I have no intention of fulfilling my word. And so I'm just wanting to avoid the conflict. Or for some of us, it's, it's even deceit. Like, I'm intentionally lying to this person so that I can get what I want. I think oftentimes in life, we overpromise and we underdeliver. We don't keep our word. And what's interesting in this text is Jesus is addressing this issue. And he doesn't give you the reasons to not lie that you would think. Like the reasons I think he would give to not lie is this, hey, you want to be a good person. You want to be respected by other people. Um, you want to be nice. People want to think you're nice. Like those are the reasons I would think Jesus would give for why we shouldn't lie, why we should keep our word. But he doesn't go that route. What he does in an interesting way is he says, the problem is this, the reason you overpromise and underdeliver is this, because you don't recognize your limits. He says, I want you to know that you're limited. 
He says in verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. And that's where he starts. And there's four reasons, four limits that he points out in this section. The first one is this, don't swear by heaven. And the reason is this, because heaven is bigger than you can conceive. And so the word heaven there in Greek is actually referring to, um, the, to space, to where the luminary bodies are, for where uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, it's referring to the heavens, those locations, not where God dwells in perfection, but, but the heavenly bodies above us. And he says, don't swear by that heaven. Why? Because it is bigger than you can conceive. We live in what's called the Milky Way galaxy. This is a picture of the Milky Way galaxy. This is where you see all of your, uh, all of your solar system in this little area. This is where our planets are. So if you walk outside at night and you can see the stars, if there's not, enough, there's not light pollution, you can actually see the stars there. You see the planets. What we see in our visual universe is known as the Milky Way galaxy. We can't actually see beyond it. And in the Milky Way galaxy, there, the distance from one side to the other is 105,000 light years across. What we can see is limited to 105,000 light years across. So let's just take a moment. Let's, let's pretend we had a spaceship that could travel at the speed of light. If we wanted to get from one side to the other of just our solar system, it would take you 105,000 years in that spaceship to get across our solar system. Guess what? You're not doing it because you don't live that long. In Psalm 19.1, it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Another psalmist says this, God, God measures the stars by the breadth of his hand. He says, this universe, these heavens are vast. They're too vast for you to even conceive. And they're the throne room of God. I mean, that's where God just hangs out. There are, the Hubble Space Telescope has given us images for galaxies distant millions and millions of light years away where we can see more and more. And it's amazing to see the vastness of space. And Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's like the throne room of God. That's where he hangs out. You can't promise by heaven because it's bigger than you can conceive. He secondly, don't promise by earth for it's his footstool. He says, don't promise by the earth because the earth is actually beyond your comprehension. It's beyond, beyond your comprehension. The earth rotates 23 hours and 56 minutes to do one rotation each day. It's traveling at roughly 40,000 kilometers uh, per second. 460 meters per second, roughly 1,000 miles an hour. Your earth is spinning fast. It's amazing we don't fly off. It is spinning, rotating fast. And here's what's fascinating about your earth. It's covered in 70% water. 70% of the earth's surface is covered in water. And we've only, we've only, um, we've only searched out about 5% of the earth's oceans. Which means... 65% of the planet's surface underwater we have never been to. There is more we haven't seen than we've seen. And God says, yeah, that's, that's like my footstool. That's where I rest my feet. 
says we don't we don't swear by earth because it's beyond our comprehension we haven't even delved the surface of the earth we can't promise by that we don't even know everything that's there we are so small he says don't swear by jerusalem for it's the city of the great king jerusalem is is the place it's talked about all in scripture where where the king would reign It's called the city of David. David, the great king, the second king of the nation of Israel, the great king, the king after God's own heart. That's that's his city. And there's a promise that one day the Messiah is gonna return. He's gonna rule from that city. And he says, look, the city of Jerusalem, that's the city of the great king, and that's not yours to command. So you don't promise by the city because you don't own that city. That's, That's for the Messiah. That's God's king. He says in verse 36, And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. He says, you don't swear by your head because you can't even control your hair color. Harvard uh, researchers actually researched this. They discovered that what causes hair to go gray? If you wondered, here it is. Stress activates nerves that are part of the flight or flight response, which in turn permanently damage the pigment regeneration stem cells in your hair follicles. So why is your hair going gray? What Harvard has just said is COVID-19. That's what they said. That's what causes gray hair. And, he's, and Jesus is saying this. He's like, you, you can't control your hair. You can't make promises on your head. You can't even control what grows out of it, as we can all see from your pastor. Like, we, we have no control of what comes out of our, our head. He's like, I can't, we can't make all these promises because you're so limited. We're so limited. We are so limited in our control. And what Jesus is doing is removing everything that we swear by so that we see how limited we really are. And I think if COVID has taught me anything in this season, it's this. Kevin, you are so limited. You can't control your life. You can't control your breath. You can't control a disease. You can't control finances. Kevin, you can't control a whole lot of your life. And Jesus then gives a diagnosis. The reason we try to grasp for control to overpromise is this is because there's something deeply wrong in our hearts verse 37 says this way let what you say simply be yes or no anything more than that comes out of evil he says the reason we overpromise and underdeliver is because there's something broken in our hearts there's something deeply wrong in each one of us. Jesus says in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces what is good. But the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You ever wondered like, why did I say that to that person? Like, why was I harsh in that way? Or why did I deceive that person? See, we try to blame something else, right? Like, we're like, oh, it was because I was hanging around those people. Or, oh, it's because I was watching that Netflix series. I'm just going to have to stop watching that because that's just hurting my heart. Like, like it's, we assume it's some external thing that causes us to be deceptive or, or not completely truthful with our words. But Jesus' diagnosis is, is much more poignant and much more penetrating. 
He says the problem is not out there. The problem is right in here. The problem is ultimately our hearts. There's a deeper issue that every one of us faces. The reason we deceive is because there's something deeply broken in our hearts. And God is a God of promises. God is a God of promises and he knows that the issue for humans is primarily a heart issue. The issue is primarily a heart issue. I, had a, I drove terrible cars uh, growing up. And uh, if you have teenagers, I encourage you to buy them bad cars. Because if they preach later on, they got good sermons uh, to deal with. So my car in particular, uh, when I was in high school, was a Nissan Sentra. And this car decided to break down all the time. All the time. And, and it would always be some sort of battery issue. And so I would be driving down the highway, I'd be driving down the freeway, and the car would say, today's the day, buddy, and it would just turn off. And so I'd have to pull off to the side of the road. Uh, back then, cell phones weren't regularly available to me, and so I'd have to like hike somewhere, call my dad or whatever, or a tow truck, and, and wait there in the car for someone to come save me. And this, this happened not once, not twice, multiple, multiple times. I knew I could not trust this car, and we replaced everything on this car, Right? How many batteries I used replaced in this car. And we uh, replaced transmissions several different times. But over and over and over again, this car wouldn't do what a car was supposed to do. Namely, get you to where you want to go. It was incapable of it. And at a point, we finally decided, hey, this car is helpless. In fact, one person said to me, um, I think there's some deep electrical issues that we don't, we can't really figure out. And I was like, thank you, mechanic, for telling me this information. So the only thing we could do is get rid of it. When Jesus says there's heart issues, when Jesus is teaching, he's not trying to make um, struggling people a little bit better. He's not trying to make people that are slightly dishonest a little less dishonest or a little more honest. Jesus' diagnosis is not about making you a little bit better at life. He says, I need to make dead people alive. See, there's something so broken within us. The Bible says this, you are dead in sin. We are dead in sin. And we don't need like a couple points to try to make us be better people. Here's five things you can do to stop lying. Like, like Jesus' diagnosis, diagnosis, it goes much deeper than that. He says, you actually don't even love the right things. You don't want the right things. I don't want the right things. I need something changed deep within me to actually love and speak and say the right things. And God has made promises. In Genesis chapter three, the world went bad. It was broken because of sin. And every issue that we've seen since then is just further confirmation of the world is broken and not what it should be. But he makes a promise. In the book of Ezekiel, verse 36, it says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He says, I'm going to go and do major heart surgery, major regeneration. And it's not just that you need to like a couple steps. You need something replaced. You need a new spiritual heart that loves me. Jeremiah 31, 33 says it this way. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Jesus came to inaugurate a new covenant, a new promise with God. And he commits to his word and he says, look, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I'm gonna do major transformation within you because I'm gonna send my spirit to live in you. And when my spirit is in you, he will begin changing your heart to love the right things so that you can say the right things so you can be renewed from the inside outside. And that's why Paul says, although my outward man is wasting away, my inward man is being renewed day by day by the power of the spirit that can work in you and change you from the inside out. So don't walk away going, okay, Kevin says I need to like be better with my words. No, Kevin says you need a heart transformation. We need Jesus to make us alive, to make us new so that we can love the right things and out of the overflow of that new heart, we can speak the right things. And God promises, if you come to my son, receive forgiveness, I will give you my spirit. And what the city of Tomball needs, what our little community needs, are Christians that are authentically kingdom people. Authentically kingdom people. They know when they interact with everyone that names the name of Jesus from our community, they say, their hearts are different. I know they are trustworthy. They have a higher allegiance. They're different. They've been changed from the inside out. And that's a beautiful thing. Jesus says, that's my kingdom people. That's who I'm building. That's who we're called to be. So a couple of statements in application. The first question is this. Um, have you personally received Jesus Christ's death in your place for your sins? Have you taken your moment to say, Jesus, I believe in you that you have forgiven me and made me new. Secondly, there's, there's some of us that have difficulty over committing to people. And so my encouragement to you would actually be to go to those people and ask forgiveness. Early on in my marriage, um, this was a major challenge in my life. I would overcommit to, to people and my wife. And some of our earliest fights in marriage were over this exact thing. And finally, Hillary just said to me, um, you can't keep doing this. You just told me you're gonna be here and you told them you're gonna be there and like this, this isn't gonna work. And finally, I had to say, okay, Lord, I'm listening to my voice of my wife, my Holy Spirit. Will you let my yes be yes and my no be no? This is the type of man I wanna be under you and how I wanna serve her. Maybe there's someone in your life you just need to go to and ask forgiveness. Lord, I have not kept my word. Will you ask their forgiveness? And lastly, I would say this. Can we be people that believe the word of God and live the word of God? Can we be people that go through the city of Tomball, the city of Magnolia, wherever you're from, and say, as they interact with this man or this woman or this kid, they know there's gonna be honesty from their lips because they've been changed. That's bigger than anything we can do. And that is not a white knuckle commitment 
That is a spirit-wrought change. So would we get on our knees and say, Jesus, change us by your spirit so we might be your people in this place. Can you pray for us? The band's gonna come up and lead us again. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have given us your word. And thank you that you call us not to be a people that commit more to you, but a people that's changed deeply by you. And I pray, Lord, that as we continue to live this life, you would make us look more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would help us to seek forgiveness from people that we have not been truthful to. And Lord, I pray that as we interact with new friends and new neighbors and new business partners, we might be men and women that stick by our word and we trust your word. God, that is a change that we cannot manufacture ourselves. We're asking you, change us, Jesus, by your spirit, for your glory and for our good. So, hear me pray. Amen.